Thank y'all. Thank y'all. I wasn't expecting that. <laughs> Do y'all mind if I take my jacket off? Okay. I'm going to try to stay behind the mic today, so I told him I wouldn't wear the other one. I'm not planning on rambling. I may ramble in the message, but I won't ramble out in the... And uh, I tell you, y'all have got a God-seeing pastor. I mean, really, y'all have. Uh, he's cream of the crop, isn't he? I mean, he really is. He's a great young man. He's a great friend. Uh, it's, uh, it's certainly good to have the pleasure of knowing Chad Henley and his family. Y'all are really blessed to have him put up. Put a tight rein on him and don't let him go anywhere. Keep him. Uh, keep him close. And uh, he is just certainly, uh, he's just a man, but he's a, he's a great man. God is really doing a work in Chad and, and through, through him and through Cottondale in our community, and we certainly appreciate that. He has great vision. And uh, he shared some. We had lunch the other day, well, a couple of times this past week. And uh, he's just uh, got a great vision for uh, kingdom work and and sharing it with you and you partaking of it, of some things he shared. It's just, it's just great to hear that. And so it's certainly a great opportunity. Chad told me when I came, he said, now, if you start any fires, you're going to have to come back and put them out. So let me tell y'all something to be safe on. If I start a fire, you do well not to tell him because I may be here six months. So, you might want to keep that in mind. Just say, man, everything went great, Chad, and uh, we got enough of him for six months at least. So just so don't tell him anything bad. He may make me stay here and straighten it out. So I told him, uh, he sent me a text this morning and said, praying for you, brother. And I said, thank you, pastor. I said, God, I've been picking me. I said, hell, fire and brimstone, brother. What was <laughs> <laughs> uh, but it's a great opportunity to be at I, I think this is my first time preaching I come to the brotherhood one time I think it's my first time preaching at Cottondale and it's certainly a great honor uh, and Chad trusts me so I'm not going to do any damage I hope and if any of y'all leave I'm associate pastor at Faith in Action just move down there and come down there with us <laughs> <laughs> but we pray that doesn't happen. I'm going to use just one verse, but I'm going to read several verses, okay? Romans chapter 10, and I'm going to focus on verse 13, just one verse, but I'm going to read up to there. And most of you know, I, I can't give all the background for that. I'm not like Chad. I'm not a, a historian and an a, a philosopher and everything else. Chad is well-educated and I'll show off and things like that. I'm, I'm, I'm the opposite of that. <laughs> <laughs> Rascal's so gentle and smooth, you know. I think, how can you stay that calm? Uh, but, uh, but you know, in chapter eight is a chapter eight of Romans. Well, a whole whole book of Romans is just great. But chapter eight, you know, God has reassured us with the promise of God of uh, nothing shall separate us, and focus on that word, us. From the love of God, and knowing who, who knowing who uh, the writers are writing to makes all the difference in the world. We can so easily misapply Scripture, 
uh, to the lost that he's applying to the to the saved and to the saved, to the lost, that we ought to be so careful and read and know who he's talking to. So he reassures us, believers, that the promises of God, and then he goes into chapter 9, and then he starts focusing on Israel a good bit again in chapter 10 also. And uh, he even reassures uh, that Israel's unbelief doesn't nullify the promises of God uh, because God has a remnant saved, and he says those that don't believe does not nullify the word of God. So just another promise that though it looks like things may be crumbling and falling apart, they're not. God has got them in control. God always, always has a remnant of believers to continue to spread the word. No matter how low it may go, God always has a people to proclaim the word of God, that seek after his heart with their whole heart. Uh, and, and God is just good. So this is just another promise here that Paul talks about. We'll talk about it in a minute. But in, now I got the NIV version, so it may read a little bit different. I'm not sure what y'all use over here. Uh, but it starts in verse 10, uh, verse 1 of chapter 10, brothers. So that gives us a clue who he's writing to. He's still writing to the church. My heart's desire and prayer to God for the Israelites is that they may be saved. There's nothing wrong with a body of believers looking out for their people. I mean, that's what Paul is putting first. He really, he's saying that now. Paul wasn't like that. He wasn't. We explain it more, but Paul really desired for Israel to be saved. All Israel. That was that was his prayer. They were the chosen people, brothers. My heart's desire and prayer to God for the Israelites is that they may be saved. So, if he's praying that they may be saved, that must mean that they're. Not saved. So, so all Israel is not saved. Uh, for I can testify about them that they, have, they are zealous for God, but their zeal is not based on knowledge. There's a passage in Proverbs chapter 16 that also speaks about this. And then we know other passages. There's a way that seemeth right unto man, but the end thereof is destruction. The Israelites had a way, and he talks about that in the next verse. Since they did not know the righteousness that comes from God and sought to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. So the Israelites were trying to establish a righteousness through the law, uh, which they very <laughs> they weren't doing a good job of uh, to start with, uh, because they, that's why God gave the commandments was to show us our sin. But Israelites were trying to establish theirs by their own righteousness. And the prophet spoke about that. He said, our righteousness is as filthy rags. And that's a, I won't get into that word here, but that's a strong, a strong language uh, about the best that we uh, as people try to offer to God in the flesh that we try to do. He says, as filthy rags. But they had a zeal for God, but it was just wrong. I was uh, one time Jesse Pitts and I, years ago when Jesse Pitts was preaching, we were going to revival at the Congregational Holiness Church down here at the end of the road. Brother Charles Dial was there, a great man of God. And uh, so we were going to visit and, and, and see how they... I hadn't ever been in the Congregational Holiness. I knew Brother Dial. So I wanted to hear their preaching. They had a revival. And so we were sitting outside, and I was still young in the faith then, hadn't been saved long, uh, uh, not, not long enough to have read a lot in the Bible anyway. Uh, and we were talking about their beliefs and... Jesse would tell me the thing. I said, but Jesse, I said, but they're sincere. And Jesse said, yeah. I said, but you can be sincerely wrong. 
You can have a zeal for God but be wrong. And we see that in our culture today. Everything that puts the label of God on, they have a zeal, but they're going the wrong way. They're going their own way with it. And that's what the Israelites were doing. They were trying to establish their righteousness by their doings. Christ is at verse 4. Christ is the end of the law. So that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. And that everyone just keeps popping up. But but it's to a certain group. It's everyone who believes. It's to a group. Moses describes it this way. That the righteousness that is by the law. The man who does these things will live by them. But the righteousness that is by faith says. Do not say in your heart. Who will ascend into heaven. That is to bring Christ down. Or who will descend into the deep, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. And this is a Deuteronomy passage. This is a simply saying, Chad can explain this later, but simply saying, it's not hard. It's not hard. You don't have to make a, a pilgrimage to, to Jerusalem once a year to be saved. You don't have to, it, it's not hard to be saved. It's not hard to know the word of God. He says here, because in verse 8, but what does it say? The word is near you, it is in your mouth and in your heart. In other words, we don't have to add anything to the gospel. The gospel is sufficient. It takes care of itself. Matter of fact, if we'll get back to this one verse, the gospel is the power of God unto salvation to those that believe, it, we would do well to stick with the gospel instead of gimmicks, trying to get people saved. Because that hadn't worked. It may put some people in the pews, but I'm telling you, it not put them in the kingdom. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation. So just hearing your songs this morning was very encouraging to hear uh, because of the way our culture has turned that even in churches they have taken out glorifying God as who he is. He is king of kings and lord of lords. We would do well to recognize that here instead of there. The word is near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we were proclaiming. Now this word of faith, I'll just throw this in, this is where that whole movement come out of, of uh, Benny Hinn and uh, Kenneth Copeland and and such preachers that the word of faith movement, name it and claim it, just say it and speak it into existence. Well, I've read the scripture enough now, and you have too. I found that the only one that can speak anything into existence is God. And I'm certainly not him. I may think that at times, but I'm not him. And so that word of faith movement come out there, that name it and claim it, and they based it all off of this one verse right here. And there's a lot more to it than that, but that's, that's where it come from, that you just start claiming things. But he says here, the word of faith that he's talking about said that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Well, then he puts it in the right order in verse 10. This is Old Testament he just spoke. He, Paul puts it in the right order. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you confess and are saved. So he, he says first that there has to be a change of heart. Now, I know you can say with your mouth, you can confess, because James says that. He says, you say that you have faith. And that's the emphasis he's putting on. He said, this is what you say. You ever talk to people that this is what they say? But when you watch their life, their say and their do do not go together. And I'm not talking about watching every step everybody makes to make sure they're perfect and that, that we're, 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 in a, we're in a process as Christians. We're, we're sanctified fully through Christ, but... We're being sanctified daily through Christ also. Uh, justification, instantaneously, that's for sure. Sanctification is a progress. Glorification lies ahead. So we look forward to all of that. 
But 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 here, uh, when they confess, James says says, "Show me your faith without your works, and I show you mine by my works." And then somebody says, "Well, you're saying faith and works. You got to have works to be saved." No, he's saying here before people. He's talking about being before people. Works demonstrate. It shows that we believe in Christ, the things that we do, the way that we act, the things that we say. Not perfect, but in the process. We, he's working on us. It used to be a song we sang, he's still working on me. Now, I'm, some people he's not working on, evidently. But he's doing, he gets chiseled out on me pretty regular. And, uh, and that's because he's a good God. He's a good God. So it says that if you confess with your mouth Jesus the Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with the heart. So everything starts in the heart. Uh, getting to the heart of the matter is what we have to do. We have to get to the heart because the Bible says the heart above all things is sick and desperately wicked. Who can know it? In other words, man thinks. But said God is a revealer of the thoughts and intents of the heart. So God, through the Holy Spirit, through the Word of God, reveals it, not out of the air, you know, I believe this, I think this, I do. Wait out by the God. Check the spirits by the spirits, the spirit of the Word of God. Check and see if it lines up. Okay? So he, he starts with the heart. The heart has to be changed. And then we confess with our mouth. We're overjoyed to tell about Christ. Now, it's not our full conversation every day. We know that. But it should be our conversation, in our conversation, and our speech should not betray us when we're out and sharing. It says, it's with your heart that you believe and are justified. It is with your mouth that you confess and are saved. As the Scripture says. Again, Paul is uh, putting validity to the Old Testament, which again, some argue we don't need the Old Testament. Well, Paul thought we did. And so he quotes Old Testament again. Anyone who trusts in him will never be put to shame. As the scripture says, anyone who trusts in him will not be disappointed or put to shame. Paul is speaking to believers here. Sometimes it gets a little overwhelming in this life. Sometimes the pressures come on. Sometimes death around us shocks us when it's instantaneous. All of a sudden something happens. I've done more funerals this year than I think I've done the whole time. And I've done a lot of them in the, in the last three or four years. In, in one family, I've just done one right after the other. And it, it's kind of shocking. And for a believer sometimes, that gets a little discouraging. And so Paul puts in a little emphasis in there, and he quotes out of Isaiah. When Israel is coming back into the native land, he said, they'll not be disappointed. You will, we will not be disappointed at the end that we're going to meet. We're going to meet a good end. And so he's just, this is an encouraging word. As the scripture says, anyone who trusts in him will not be put to shame. Verse 12, now he shifts a little bit. For there's no difference between the Jew and the Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him because or for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you, dear Lord, for the promises in your word. We can claim those, dear God. I don't have to speak those into existence. They're already here, dear God. I would do well to stand upon them, dear God. Let it be a firm foundation under my feet, dear Lord, not shipped in sand, not basing my faith upon what I see day by day, dear God, shipped in sand, but standing upon your word, dear Lord. 
that no matter what happens in this life, here, no matter what happens, Father, your promises are true. Nothing shall separate us from your love. We'll never be disappointed in you, dear God. Our end is going to be greater than our beginning. And we shall be saved. Father, we love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Three little small points and then we'll, we'll go. It won't, won't take long. I won't keep you long. I won't mess up sidetrack eating today. But I won't promise to do that. <laughs> so first off, we see the scripture. Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone who. So I got this. The scope. The scope. Okay. Uh, I think I got a definition under that, a simple def English definition. The extent of the area or subject matter that something deals with or to which it is relevant, okay? The width, the height, and the depth. He says everyone who. Now, that, that narrows it down to only the ones that who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. I'm, I'm not going to get into that. This morning, because I want to back up, really, I think what, he, what he's trying to make clear is in verse 12. For there's no difference between Jew and Gentile. The Jews were supposed to have been a light to the world. He gave them the gospel, the Israelites the gospel. They were supposed to be a light. They were so different that it was supposed to reflect out that the world was supposed to see that and, and want to draw in and know about that difference. You know what Paul said, or Peter said, I think it was, uh, always be ready, uh, let, uh, set apart Christ in your heart, and always be ready to give a reason for the hope that lieth within you when anyone asks you about it. Always be ready to give a defense for the gospel. Why? 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 Why do you believe in Christ? Why is your trust in him? He says, always be ready to give an answer, not an argument, but an answer. And so we see the scope of it, and he backs up and he says, Jew and Gentile. Well, the Jews didn't do well with the gospel. That's why the Gentiles come in. He said, I'll make you jealous by a people that are not a people. And he's talking about the Gentiles. And that's, that's you and I. We're, we're Gentiles. Okay? And, and the, the thing with this is, is in the churches, I'm afraid what we have seen, and I, I shared this this morning at Faith in Action. I preached it hard over there. And I said, I assure you, I'm going to preach it the same way at Cottondale. I'm not going to do it because I'm over here. I preached it at Greston a few weeks ago on, on my last night up there because I said it's my last night. <laughs> and if I don't call back, it's my last night anyway if you don't call me back. So we're going we're gonna to wind it up like this. Everyone. Now, the problem with us is we have got where we categorize, uh, categorize how do you say that word? Put people in categories. Say, <laughs> so I... I I'll just give you a definition. I can't say the word. <laughs> we just group up people. And so we'll start all kind of ministries to reach a certain kind of people. Like if we want to reach hunters, we'll just start the 30-30 club. we just put on a hunting vest and a hunting pants and a hunting cap, and we'll spend all our money on hunting. And then if we're fishermen, we'll just, we'll just start targeting fishing people. And if we have the, the social circle in, in town, the ladies' social circle, we'll just start... Reaching ladies we think will fit in there. But that's not the gospel. We, we can't start picking and choosing who we want to share the gospel with. We can't start picking and choosing who we want to come to Cottondale. Now, here's our problem. We have tried to create a country club at our churches. And we have tried to reach people that fit our mold that we think will suit us. And, and we're witness to those kind of people. And we'll leave certain people out. We don't like to admit that we do that, but we all battle with that to start with. It's all a hard battle. 
I, I battle with talking, trying to talk to people that have, have a, a little intellect because I, I'm uneducated and it shows up pretty quick. And, and so I, I, I draw back from doing that. But, but that's only because I start relying upon my own self that I'm the one that's got to convince them or reach them with it. And I forget that it's the gospel that's the power of God and the salvation. Now, I'm going to just be honest with you. Uh, because I hit this at Faith in Action a while ago. I said, if all you want to reach is black folks, and I, I use those words, white, black, uh, Hispanic, red, yellow, and if it's wrong, forgive me for that because I'm not trying to be derogatory. But I said, if all you're trying to reach is that, you're not sharing the gospel. And if Cottondale, sitting in the middle, I'm not saying you're doing this, so don't take it out of context. But if all you're trying to reach is a certain group of people that fit in with the mold at Cottondale, you're not preaching or sharing the gospel. It has to go beyond, and color isn't the only limit to it. Education. Let me, let me just read you a few things that I wrote down here, then I'll read you something also. The scope. Everyone who? That's Jew or Gentile. That's young or old. Do you know that there's been a drive since I got saved? That all I've heard in the, in the churches, and you get trained up, because we train up people the same way. Here's what I've heard in the churches. Just as soon as them old people die out, we'll be able to change this church and do like we want. Well, goodness, we just can't hardly wait till everybody old dies out like we're never going to get there. What does that mean? We'll change it then and we'll do it like this. No, by the time you get there, your whole view is going to be changed. That next group's going to come in and want to do something different. Then you're going to be that one sitting there and saying, I know what they meant now. <laughs> you know, because you know, we always know everything. You know that? Have you noticed that? And when you were in your teenage years and getting up and coming up in the twenties, you know everything. And then the older you get, you start looking at your parents and everybody else, and boy, they got smart, didn't they? All of a sudden, they got real smart. Well, it's got like that in the church. We've even done it with our music. We bring in, in some churches, all the contemporary music, and we leave out the Redback Hymnal, forgetting a whole group that was raised on that, songs that have been proven, as a matter of fact. Not saying y'all do that, because these songs you just sing are great. But we do things like that, and we start reaching, and, and now we got a whole shift of the church. Now listen to this. The whole shift in the church today is we got to do something to reach the young people. Well, do you know old people are going to hell too? Older people are lost too? Do you, you just promoted something on agelessness. We begin to think people are useless. Everybody can pray. Matter of fact, if you take the giving away from the older people out of the church, you'll find out the young people don't do well. Because we don't manage well. Wait, I said, wait, and no, I did put me in. <laughs> uh, I started losing my hair in my 20s and it got gray early. I'm just really not 26. <laughs> but the scope, Jew or Gentile, young or old, bond or free, rich or poor. Do you know for a fact, it's a fact, that you can die in Jessup Heights as well as you can die in Greenwood Heights and Bacon Heights and Ashbury Heights out in California? One out of one die still. I mean, I still, Dr. Peel told me that. He's smarter than me. He said the statistics are one out of one die. And I said, I hadn't thought about that, but <laughs> now that you said it, rich or poor, though, is the point there. So we got a whole group that says, we need to go down there to that group behind McDonald's and down there at that stage. And somebody, somebody else, somebody needs to witness them tell them about Christ. Listen to me. They're dying and going to hell in Jessup Heights too. 
Don't think because a nice house and a nice job and a good name and a good career will get you into heaven because it will not do it. We have narrowed that gospel down so much to our own little, little group to fit in that we have missed out on sharing the gospel with people. My pastor, Cecil Barton, is the best I know at it. That, that's not comparing and saying that. I'm just saying, if there's a guest at our church, black, white, Hispanic, when I go talk with them and say, who told you about, who invited you? Cecil. Cecil. There's not a person that moves into apartment complex, and it's a big complex, that moves in, that he doesn't share the gospel, invite them to our church to hear the gospel. Now, all of them don't always come. All of them don't stay when they come. But there's not one that he doesn't share it with. What a great opportunity. That's a whole mission field over there. But it doesn't stop there. He shares it out everywhere else. He's a good leader in, in that aspect of sharing the gospel. One of the best I've ever seen. I know a lot of people do it and people don't know things. I'm, I'm not saying that. And I'm not saying you don't do it, so don't take it that way. I'm trying to encourage us to not limit it to a group of people. How about male or female? No. The Lord broke that wall down too. How about the educated and uneducated? Can an uneducated person feel as comfortable coming to here and hearing the preaching and the gospel as one that's well-educated? That's something to think about. This is what Plummer out of his commentary says. There's no difference. No difference in origin. All spring from Adam. No difference as to the guilt of original sin or to the want of original righteousness. No difference as to their need of a salvation wholly gratuitous by atoning blood and imputed righteousness. No difference as to the sincerity of the offer made nor as to the readiness, promptness, and blessedness of the reception given by God to all except the preferred uh, grace. No difference as to the consequences of such faith, justification, adoption, renewal, sanctification, and glorification, invariably following a hearty reception as the Lord Jesus Christ. How about this? And in this, it, the gospel discriminateth not. You know, one of the saddest things I have seen around here lately is the division that Christians are causing with their comments about the low issue going on. On both sides. It's not the lost people's comments. That doesn't bother me a bit. That's what comes from them. It's the comments from Christians. It's because we got that gospel bias that we think is settled on us and we're so right and we won't share the God. We're missing the great opportunity to share the gospel and live the gospel. Instead, we have fallen into the trap of division. There's no difference in the Jew and Gentile. Do you know the only difference between us? I know we act different in a lot of ways. Uh, everything I just listed on there. You can take it to the extreme on everything. There's no difference, though. The color of skin. I've been in the Philippines. What's the next picture? I meant the next slide is picture. Look here. That's Kenya, China, Mexico, and let's say New York City. I was in Kenya. Do you know that they get saved in Kenya the same way we do here? By the gospel. Do you know in China that the underground church, they're trying to persecute it again, there's more persecution coming on right now, one of the fastest growing churches in the world. Mexico, I preach in Mexico. People get saved in Mexico. Mexicans. I'm not going to argue about the wall and that kind of debate. My responsibility as a Christian is to share the gospel while they're here. 
That's my response. That's what he'll hold me accountable for. Did you share me with them when you had the opportunity? What they loaded everybody up and moved everybody out of the country. Then what? Well, we put the gospel in them. Most of us can't say that. What they loaded us up and shipped us somewhere, as a matter of fact, on that point. New York City. I had a friend that left the church, or a guy I met, left the church in Alabama. Prosperous church. Growing. Nothing wrong. His testimony. Everything was going great. He went to New York City to visit, and God called him to New York City, laid it upon his heart, the burden through the scriptures, through the Holy Spirit, to go to New York City and start a church and start out on the street. And he went out and shared it with one man, and, and one man got saved, and God burdened his heart for New York City. And I said, New York City? I don't even want to go, let alone be stationed there. I don't even like to go to Atlanta. Airport's far enough for me. But if I'm not careful, I'll start living in God that I'm not going to go to Atlanta and witness to the people in Atlanta because it's too hectic. And, too, and I have done the same thing. My scope has gotten narrow. Has your scope gotten narrow to who you want to share the gospel with? How about people you like? It's, you like sharing it with them better than people you don't like? Well, they treated Christ a lot worse than they treat us around here. I can tell you that. The most you'll get here is, I don't want to hear that mess, that nonsense. That's the most you'll get. Of course, that'll do a Baptist sin now. Don't get me wrong. That'll do a Southern Baptist sin. <laughs> you won't believe what they said to me. what they say? They say, I'm doing, I don't want to hear that mess. Oh, my goodness. You, I don't know. That's, that's six months of counseling right there. <laughs> we know that's true, though, don't we? It doesn't take much for us. A little discouragement goes a long ways. The scope, everyone who, tonight I'll do the other verses to get to that, but this morning, everyone. So that's the scope of it. How about this? The, the scope is to everyone who, okay, does what? The simplicity of it. Oh, I keep looking back. I can look forward. I thought I had faith in action for a minute. Skin color was different, but I was still looking back. <laughs> everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. The simplicity of it, calls on the name of the Lord. Remember, I told you, he said, you had not got to ascend into heaven. You had not got to descend down to bring Christ up. No, the word is neither, even in our mouth. The simplicity of it. It's us that make it complicated. You know why we make it complicated? I'm not talking about the Christian. The lost person, why he makes it complicated? Why so hard? Because it's an unregenerate heart. He doesn't understand. How can he understand the things of God? Without a great awakening. The Bible in Ephesians said, man is dead in trespasses and sins. But God quickened. Paul said he quickened us, made us alive together with Christ. Ephesians chapter 2. Paul is quoting again from these passages from the book of Joel chapter 2. Of course, Peter quoted from them too, didn't he? Let's see what Peter said in Acts chapter 2. Let me just read. You ain't got to turn there. Just mark them down if you will. I'll start in verse 17. And we know... We're in the last day started, my belief is, last day started uh, with Christ, but after the, the day of Pentecost. Okay, the day of Pentecost, 50, 40 days Christ walked, 10 days is gone, 50 days, day of Pentecost. All the people come, made that pilgrimage, that word, they all came in to Jerusalem. You ain't got to bring Christ down, bring Christ up. You ain't got to walk anywhere. In these last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. 
Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Young men will see visions. Now, I'm not getting crazy with this. I'm going to just read the scriptures. I, I'm not going to be down there foaming at the mouth in a minute. Young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. And on my service, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. And they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heaven above, signs in the earth below. Blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Verse 39. The promise, promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. She had told me not to start a fire, so I'm going to try not to. But I assure you, left to yourself, you won't call him. Because dead people don't call. That's why Paul put it in the right order when he backed up here. And he said in verse 9 and 10, That if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with the heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you confess and are saved. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord, all that the Lord calls, call on the name of the Lord. I just told Faith in Action. I said, you know, it's sad when a person can leave church lost and feel as good leaving as they did when they come in. They lost per- thinks that's an accomplishment. Really, what the lost person ought to be doing then is crying out, saying. Oh, God, surely if everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved, why not me? Surely, surely it meaneth me. Surely, why not me, Lord? I'd rather see them weeping, hollering, crying at the front altar and saying, why not me today? Why not save me? Then I could say, that is the evidence that the Lord thy God is calling thee, that has convicted your heart. He has pricked you this morning, that you're broken. Instead, week after week, people walk out. Just like they came in. Not move one bit. Have got so calloused in their heart that the word of God doesn't penetrate it. And they're proud about it. Even Christians are proud about it. Well, surely that didn't mean it to me. (laughs) Maybe it did. The simplicity. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord. The Jew would not call Jesus Lord. They crucified him. Of course, with the help of the others. But the Jew, that's the one thing the Jew would not do. That if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord, the Jew would not do that. The Pharisees would not do that. The religious leaders of the day would not teach to do that. They taught the opposite. This man has a demon. That if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord, you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. The gospel, Paul is speaking to believers. We don't have to get into the whole gospel here to tell what all of it is because they know he's reassuring them, giving them a promise that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord, the next step, shall be saved. It's the surety of the gospel. And again, I say hard times come and we get discouraged at times. A family loses a child. That can be, I never lost, that can be devastating. Can you not see where their faith may be shook? Even we can understand that. And instead of running in like we like to do, all of a sudden we get all 
holy and righteous, you know. Well, sister, God is God and he understands. They know that. How about go in and put your arm around them with their surety and hug them with a surety that God has got it. The surety of the God. That's the promise of salvation. And God's promises stand true. Now, I may mislead you. Your pastor may mislead you. You may mislead someone. But Christ will not lie to us. He is not a man that he can lie. It goes against his nature. He can't lie. The promise. And Paul has given that assurity to us. Reassuring the believer, but also sending out the message to everyone who calls. If there's someone here this morning. Not everyone's going to be saved. Not universalism. But everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So I ask this morning, are you one that calls upon the Lord now? Or are you one that needs to call upon the Lord to have this surety of salvation? Not a hope so. Will you sing a song on that? A no so. I have a no so. Let's pray.